Welcome to Grad Chats with Dr. B. I'm your host, Dr. B, and today I have with me Dr. Michael Hargis, Dean of the College of Business at the University of Central Arkansas. Dr. Hargis, thank you for joining me in this episode of Grad Chats with Dr. B. Well, thank you for the invitation. I look forward to our conversation. It's a great way to start a Monday. <laughs> Absolutely. So to get us started, tell me a little bit about your background. You know, like who are you outside of UCA or maybe what your professional experience has been prior to becoming Dean of the College of Business? Absolutely. I'll start with maybe some the, the personal side and then move into okay. move into the, the professional side. I, as people ask me who I am, I frequently, the first thing that pops into my head is dad, maybe yeah. more so today than, uh, than, than any other day, because it's the Monday after Father's Day, right? So right. yesterday I got to, uh, to hang out with my kids. And so, so me as a person, I'm, I'm dad, husband, friend. I mean, those are the, the things that I kind of pay attention to outside of our professional scope. One of the things that I really like to do, I grew up in Arkansas. And so when you grow up in a rural state, you tend to spend a lot of times outside doing things, sure. whether that's playing in the garden or landscaping or playing in the rivers and streams. And so frequently with my kids, we like to go find a river or a lake to play in on a weekend. And so that's what I, I got to do do uh, yesterday and Saturday. And awesome. so but sunburned, a little bit windburned. <laughs> and uh, how old are your kids? I've got a 16-year-old son named Matthew and a 13-year-old daughter named Emma. And so, okay, good times. Teenagers in the house. So it's ever chaotic and, and they keep me on my toes, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So so kids and, and wife and family outside of work. In terms of profession, I did not move into academics thinking I was going to become a dean, right? So right. my path in academics, and you might have been the same way. I know. Who of us dreamed of being a dean when that's, we were small? <laughs> that's right. So I, I went to college, and I was one of those students who really had no real plan for what I wanted to do after college, but I uh, had three college professors that had formative impacts on me as a person. And I realized, wow, this is, this may be the coolest job in the world, right? Yeah. They have flexibility with their careers. They get to chase and do research on questions that are interesting to them. And it was intellectually engaging. And so somewhere around my sophomore year of college, I realized I want to be a, a professor. I was a psychology undergrad student. So I thought I was going to end up in a, in an undergraduate psychology program teaching. Yeah, that's interesting psychology or research yeah. methods or something to that that effect but I was not of the path that I was going to go straight to graduate school after undergrad I needed to mm -hmm. work for a few years and, and get some other experience so I took a job in healthcare research and worked at UAMS for the University of Arkansas for medical sciences for four years after I graduated from college in their health outcomes research side so so my job was to as a research assistant was to go out collect data so the physicians and treatment teams could see could learn more about the efficacy of their treatments. And, and I looked at behavioral health outcomes. And then we also did asthma research. And, and what I learned in that exposure was I don't want to deal with patients and, <laughs> and uh, medical doctors. It's um, good to learn that when you're still and, young, right? Yes. And so, uh, so I learned that the, the type of psychologist that I wanted to be was not a, a clinical psychologist that was dealing with patient treatment. And so I started looking at what other areas of psychology existed. And at that point, there was a relatively new field called industrial organizational psychology. Mm -hmm. It's been around for a little while, but didn't have a lot of graduate programs, didn't have a lot of PhD programs or pathways. And so I just mapped out the, the top 10 programs in, in those disciplines and I applied to all of them and I, okay. I got into one of them. And so uh, so that took me to Detroit. So oh, moved wow. from, from Little Rock to Detroit with Jessica and we got married just before that. And so she was an art teacher in Detroit and I was a graduate student and small time consultant. And we lived there for the 
the first bunch of years of our marriage while I was mm-hmm. going to graduate school. And that's where I finally got to teach classes and, and really work in the training and development side of psychology. So I was at Detroit for a while and then moved to Tennessee Chattanooga for my first yeah. faculty job. Bought a house, enjoyed the time there. And then I had a, a colleague that worked at Central Arkansas and he said, hey, we've got an opening. You want to apply? And so <laughs> nine months after buying a house in one town, applied for a gig here and moved, moved to Jessica and Matthew, my son who was, you know, 11 months old at the time, back to uh, Arkansas and have been at UCA since 2006. So started as an assistant professor along the way, said yes to a a few administrative opportunities that Mm -hmm. uh, popped up. And then 2013, the opportunity to to lead the college presented itself. So so I've been the dean since 2013 here in the College of Business and it's been a a fun and and wild ride. (laughs) So as dean, what would you say is a good day? Oh, man. As you know, as Dean, we can find ourselves mired in meetings and strategic plans and financial plans Mm -hmm. uh, that that can end up eating up a lot of our time. And while I think those things are important, those are definitely not the things that I I would say are uh, um, the most enjoyable parts of our job. For me, when I when I think about my best day and as I was thinking about our conversation today, the the things I want to highlight are the the days where I get to go listen to a faculty brown bag presentation where Mm -hmm. they're talking through their research agenda, right? And, mm-hmm. and I learn a little bit about whether it's an economic theory or an accounting practice or a whatever under the sun in terms of business right. is, is going on. I really enjoy seeing faculty thrive and learning about their disciplines a little bit more because to me, that's the that's the the make or break a college, whether it's a college right. of business or any other college. Seeing our faculty successful is what mm-hmm. then will translate to, to classroom success for our Absolutely. students. So, yeah. so, so one of those best days would be being able to hang out with the Department of Faculty, diving into a research problem or learning mm-hmm. about what they're uh, they're doing. And then the other side of that is our students, right? Uh, I'm right. lucky enough to have a, a student advisory board here in the college. And so many of my best days are when we get to have breakfast together and I get to learn about the, the a day in the life of a student. So I ask uh-huh. them the, the same question you just asked me, what's your best day you uh-huh. know, as a, as a student, a citizen of the College of Business or the university look like? And just hearing about their experiences, hearing mm-hmm. about what they have learned in a class or what cool opportunity they got from a student organization or just something more broadly going on at the at the university. And so while I'm not saying that's the most frequent uh, activity, uh-huh. that <laughs> right. those would be be the most enjoyable parts of the job. It's really getting to, to to spend time with those people who who make this college what it is, the faculty and the students. So, well, if you've been dean since 2013, so we're looking at like eight years now, you've probably seen a lot of things happen. So I'm curious, what's something that's occurred at UCA during your time that particularly proud of? It may be something that you were in charge of or not, but just something that stands out to you. Absolutely. And I I will say what I'm going to describe is much more of a a cultural evolution of the college. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not just me. It's the, it's the team of the the college of business that made this happen. But since 2013, since the the leadership transition and and I moved into this role, we have focused on really making our curriculum, what we call current and responsive, right? Mm -hmm. One of the, the nice things about business curriculum is that it's grounded in common practice, but that it has to evolve over time. So even though Mm -hmm. the fundamentals of business, 
business, accounting, practice, economic theory, some of those things stay the same. A lot of other things have to change across time. And so we have spent the last eight years really looking at uh, at all of our functional business disciplines and diving into the curriculum to, to make sure that our curriculum is current. In, in other words, we're teaching students the things that businesses are doing today. And I'll mm-hmm. give a couple of examples of that here in a moment and responsive to employer needs. And so just as some top level examples, we can take the field of marketing, right? If you think back 15 years ago, the the field of marketing did not include any digital marketing. Companies like Facebook didn't exist, really. Companies like Instagram Mm -hmm. certainly didn't. And so there was no real digital footprint for marketing. So if we didn't grow our curriculum or add that focus, students who are getting marketing degrees would not be prepared for the the jobs that are out there now. And so we have modernized our curriculum across the board. And doing so, we have added multiple majors. We've added majors in information systems. Mm -hmm. We've added majors in facets in, uh, in in every one of our other disciplines. So we've added an innovation and entrepreneurship major. We've added focus in our management track at undergraduates uh, trained in human resource management. Mm-hmm. We've added specialties into accounting. And so that's been our undergraduate focus. I know we're going to talk more about our, our graduate mm-hmm. programs here in a minute, so I'll, I'll wait for that. But okay. really, that's the the broader focus is, is really making sure that our curriculum's modern and current. So let's go ahead and jump into graduate programs in the College of Business. I know you've got two programs that are, you know, they're fairly well established. You've got the Master of Business Administration or MBA program, and then also the Master of Accountancy. So what are the standout features for these programs compared to similar programs at other universities? Absolutely. So, um, so yes, our, our MBA program and our Master's of Accountancy program are longstanding in our college, mm-hmm. right? The MBA's been around for 25 years in the college or more, mm-hmm. and the, the, the Master's of Accountancy about, uh, well, maybe 20 years as well. So longstanding, yeah. both have a a great pipeline of students. The way we differentiate our programs, both at the the MBA and the Master's of Accountancy, is really focusing on the type of students that we're trying to get into the program. So most frequently in in both of those programs, we are educating working professionals. So people Mm -hmm. who are already in in a career track and they're looking to to advance their career or move into a different facet of that career. And so with our Master's of Accountancy, what we've done recently is move towards a hybrid teaching model for our our students. And so what that means is each class in the the Master's of Accountancy meets twice a week for the the standard academic Mm -hmm. term. One of those meetings is going to be face-to-face and one of those meetings is going to be online, either synchronous, so so a student's logging in at the same time as a a faculty member or asynchronous where a student can complete those projects or tasks at their own time frame within Mm -hmm. that uh, that week. So, So one of the shared features between our programs is flexibility, right? How a student can integrate their curriculum or their coursework into their working lives, recognizing that class at 10 a.m. may not work with with someone who's got a full-time job, right? So we've tried to to build in flexibility. We do that in the MAC by having the Master's of Accountancy, by having online and hybrid options, Mm -hmm. face-to-face options with that. With our Master's of Business Administration, we rotate. So every semester, a class the, the foundational classes will be offered face-to-face in one semester and online in the next. And so for each course in our uh, seven-course sequence for the MBA, you'll you'll have one semester where you can take it face-to-face. That's typically mm-hmm. at night if you're interested in, uh, in enrolling, or you can take it online. And we offer two sessions of that, uh, either in the fall or spring, and then one session in the summer that's online. Again, trying to, to make sure that our working professionals have the path that makes sense for them. The other thing that we do is with, in terms of that flexibility, when we admit a student, we don't make them choose 
I'm going to be an online student or I'm going to be a face-to-face. Okay. In many cases with other programs like ours, mm-hmm. you have to say on the front end, I want to be a, a fully face-to-face student or I want to be a fully online student. And mm-hmm. we found that's an unnecessary burden for our students. Right. There are many students who are working their way through our curriculum that they're comfortable with accounting, right? And mm-hmm. so they wouldn't be scared of taking an accounting or a, a finance course online. It doesn't cause them concern. And so they'll take it online. But then Mm -hmm. others want that face-to-face interaction, want that weekly timetable. And so being able to help them sequence their courses so they know, okay, every fall this class is going to be face-to-face, spring this Mm -hmm. is, and we can build out that plan so that they Mm -hmm. can take whichever course they want in whatever format they want um, has really helped us build that program. So so flexibility is a common feature uh, between our programs. And then with our MBA, one of the differentiating factors between our MBA and others is we've been acted, really added three tracks over the last five or six years to our MBA mm-hmm. program. So every MBA student takes a core sequence of seven classes, and oh. then they can either choose to earn a general MBA, which mm-hmm. allows them to take a broader range of courses, or they can choose to specialize. Okay. We have specializations in healthcare administration. We have a specialization in information management, and we have a specialization in finance and banking. So for people who want to do a deep dive in any of those three disciplines, mm-hmm. they can choose choose to do that. Most MBA programs don't have those specializations. They're okay. still very general degrees. Mm-hmm. So by having some, uh, some specialization within our MBA, it's really helped us build programs that help students meet their, their needs and their expectations. For us, we think that combination of flexibility and mm-hmm. the, the increased focus on specialization has been really attractive. And so sure. in, uh, we look back eight years ago, our MBA had less than 40 students in it. Oh, wow. uh, now, you know, depending on what uh, what enrollment really looks like in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, we anticipate having somewhere around 170 students in that MBA yeah, program. That's, and huge. So, um, that's huge difference. Yeah, it is. And so, I, I mean, the faculty have been really wonderful partners in, in building out the curriculum. And Dr. McMurtry, the MBA director, has, uh, has hit the recruitment trail and uh, it really helps students see the value there. And then uh, we've also seen growth with our our Masters of Accountancy. And so that that focus on flexibility and that focus on specialization has really paid off for our college. Absolutely. For our students. So let's switch gears a little bit because you've also got some newer programs in data analytics. So we have the graduate certificate that actually started a couple of years ago. And then we're introducing a master's degree in data analytics to begin this fall. So what is data analytics for, for some of us that aren't really clear on that? And then why would these programs be important? Absolutely. So that, that's a great question. And again, you know, I, I talked a little bit ago about our focus on current and responsive curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we do uh, in the college is make sure that we talk to all of the hiring managers in the, the region. I and mean, one of the skill sets that they've been talking about for the last several years that they're not able to find enough students with these specializations is the ability to collect and process uh, and make decisions with information. So mm-hmm. when we talk about data analytics at a, at a very broad level, we're really just talking about information, right? Collecting okay. good information, processing or running statistical analyses to, mm-hmm. to examine that information, and then helping businesses make decisions. And so okay. at the top level, data analytics is really just a decision science. It's a, it's a set of tools that help inform decision makers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit about the phases of that, just so someone could understand the different facets of data. Okay. Analytics. Yeah. But when we talk about analytics, we're, we're really able to talk about three different pieces of the information pipeline. 
first, we've got to talk about data collection, right? We've got to talk about the information mm -hmm. that we, we gather. And so when you, when you have a question, let's say that question is, I want to reach 19 year olds that have a disposable income of X because I want to sell a car. Right. Okay. There are a lot of different ways to to try to segment that that group. You can look at a region of the the United States. You can look at whether they're they've earned a college degree or attended college. You can look at uh, zip codes. Right. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of information out there and available. But uh, with data analytics, the first piece is really trying to help understand, help the business understand which pieces of information are going to lead to good decisions, effective uh -huh. decisions as opposed to the noise, the information that's out there that's right. not Like relevant. hair color probably wouldn't matter. Probably not going to help, okay. right? That, that uh, would be noise in the data set, yeah. Exactly. So data collection is one piece of it. And then we've got to, once we have the data, we've got to think about how do we store that data? And so mm -hmm. in data analytics, we call that really data warehousing, mm -hmm. but that's really just a data set, right? So that could be as simple as a, a spreadsheet that uh, that we can run easy statistical tests on, averages, mm -hmm. means, medians, mm -hmm. modes. But most of the time nowadays, we're talking about something much more complex than that, right? We're going to talk about some type of complex data visualization mm -hmm. process or data data archiving process mm -hmm. where we're just looking at pieces of, of that information. And so data collection turns to data warehousing, and that's where we keep information across time. Right. And so mm -hmm. you'll see you'll see frequently stories recently about people getting hacked and all of their data yeah. getting stolen. Well, right. that's that happens at the data warehouse side or state right. of the, the data analysis. Where do we keep our data? How mm -hmm. do we store it so that we're able to uh, to make decisions from it? But that it's also anonymous. Right. So mm -hmm. so we may know the average 19 year old or 30 year old or 40 year old does this, but we wouldn't be able to track it back to Michael An Hargis individual. or Angela Barlow right. uh, in terms of the individual level, because there's there's ethics involved or lack thereof in that, in that yeah. case involved in that. And so when we talk about data collection and data warehousing, we're not just talking about the technical skills that are important with that. We're really talking through and working through research methods. Mm -hmm. How do we ask questions? How do we collect data, but also the ethical implications of what we do, right? Mm -hmm. What is right and wrong? What's what's good in terms of protecting both individual consumers and the broader business interest? And so once we have collected the data and we've mm -hmm. stored it in a way that is useful, the last phase of, of data analytics is really where you get into the analytics piece of it, right? right? And that's mm -hmm. where you use statistics and algorithms mm -hmm. to, to look at the data and help businesses make informational or make informed choices. And again, that the really interesting thing about analytics now and why it's useful to your your first question is every business needs this right yeah. whether you're talking about a, a small screen printing operation that's making t-shirts in uh, conway arkansas mm -hmm. or a multinational corporation every business needs to know about who's buying their product, how those products are getting used, also how to manage your inventory. So if you're a small business in Conway and you do print t-shirts, let's say, you want to know what's the what's the most common t-shirt size, right? Mm -hmm. So you can manage the inventory that you have. Right. If, if your local market is dealing with youth sports like we do in Conway so regularly, mm -hmm. you probably don't need as many adult sizes as you do right. youth, youth sizes. Yeah. 
And again, you would think some of this is common sense, but analytics informs that and it speeds up the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons that we've launched our, our both our graduate certificate and our master's of science and data analytics is really to, to with that recognition that every employer from, from a small business to a multinational corporation need these skills. And there's very few programs out there that are helping yeah. address that gap. And so we're, we're excited that this fall, we're going to be able to, to launch those programs. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about. So, you know, my background is a math educator. So we talk about what should kids be learning in pre-K-12 classrooms and all. And we have historically had data analysis and probability as our content strand. And so we like teach kids every year how to find the average. (laughs) Year after year, we do that. But now there are greater calls for us to rethink that and talk about data science. We actually had an article, so I'm also an editor for a journal, and we had an article that recently came out about data science. And while I'm still struggling with at the pre-K-12 level, how teaching data science is different from what we've always done, like I'm wrapping my brain around it, I hear the significance of it as I listen to you talk about data analytics. Because otherwise, you know, if you're that small business person, you can trial and error to figure out what size t-shirts you need and end up with a whole where a real warehouse, physical warehouse full of three XLs, or you can use this data analytics skill set to know up front, here's what I need in my inventory. So that's Absolutely. really, really so fascinating. That that predictive powder power of of looking at numbers and and that is where where we overlap. That is a, a mathematical uh-huh. equation that helps you yeah. do that. But one with with in terms of these businesses, real practical significance right. because they have yeah. money locked up in uh, in a warehouse. That's a person they can't pay, right? Or right. Um, a, a revenue cycle that can't exist for them. And so one of the really interesting pieces of analytics is it is it's a piece of that broader data science curriculum. And and at least for me, I was not necessarily stellar uh, mathematics student. <laughs> but once we got into uh, statistics where I was able uh-huh. to see how we are applying these to okay. situations I was more familiar with, it it was helpful, right? And sure, so then yeah. calculus makes sense. Then mm-hmm. uh, then derivatives make sense. But mm-hmm. but but before that, I couldn't couldn't see uh, see how or why. So for me, that focus on analytics has always been helpful because it's closer to the decision further away from the algorithm that drives that decision. Wow. And so, so so, one of the neat things about analytics and how it fits into data science is a, a broader range of students can find career paths mm-hmm. that'll be gratifying and satisfying to them across their career span. Well, I have one last question. So we've talked about your graduate programs, which programs have students in them, right? So now thinking about students who are in your, who are currently in your graduate programs, what's a piece of advice that you would offer to a student who's in one of your graduate programs? Or several pieces if yeah. you have more than one. I'll say there's probably two things that I that I frequently tell students when I okay. have that opportunity to interact with them. And I try to tell, tell, tell all of the graduate students this. When you get to engage in a, a master's program in a college of business, but really any professional master's program, you're going to get out of it exactly what you put into it. Mm-hmm. And so so this this sounds like dad advice, but it's really not dad advice. It's uh, it's advice learned through through experience here. I frequently talk about time on task. And I know mm-hmm. students have competing demands, right? They have jobs, they have graduate school, they have families, they have obligations. And, and so I try to encourage our students to be as purposeful with their graduate classes as they mm-hmm. are with all of the other things that they agree to do. And so, so really that first piece of advice and probably the most important piece of advice is 
carve out deliberate time, make it, mm -hmm. make it whatever, you know, if it's Monday morning from six to 8 AM that yeah. you're going to do organizational behavior for, mm -hmm. for your MBA class, whatever that time is, make sure you've, you've carved it out and that it's protected time for you. Because if you wait till the last minute to do an assignment, sure, you may earn a, a grade. You may be able mm -hmm. to, to pull it off because frankly, they're bright students. They've made it to mm -hmm. graduate school, sure. but you won't get as much out of that. And so right. when you're dealing with graduate programs, you're paying money, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and you want to get a return on that. And so the, the best way to do that is to put the time in to, to really learn that material and to try to do that in a way that you're prepared in advance of a class. Okay. Cause that's mm -hmm. where the second part of this piece of advice, okay. the first is uh -huh. to come on. The second is get comfortable with asking faculty, asking your professors questions about the things that they're teaching, right? Mm -hmm. You learn so much from those individual conversations, or at least I did through mm -hmm. my, my master's and, and PhD program. Those one-on-one -on -one conversations, whether it starts with, hey, I can't work this problem set. Where am I, where am I messing up? I've read the mm -hmm. textbook six times. I just can't figure it out. Professors became professors because they love their discipline. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can point to any of the, the hundreds of faculty across our campus that, that ended up in the professorate unless they really loved what they, they love were learning it about. Talk about it. Yeah. Every day so, you talk about it. <laughs> exactly. So uh, so they want those questions. And so I think sometimes our students don't realize that, that they, they still feel that uh, there's a real big gap between their faculty, whoever's teaching mm -hmm. their class and the and themselves and they're not right they're really approaching that colleague level and they need to get comfortable with having those questions and asking those questions and being confident in themselves that just because they ask a question doesn't mean that they're not capable of learning that mm -hmm. material that in fact the, the professor is there to help them learn that material and yeah. so so to me those are the two pieces of advice that i that i really across the board try to make sure students hear uh, when, mm -hmm. when the opportunity to interact spend the time up front to get prepared so you know what questions to ask and then mm -hmm. don't be shy, right? Yeah. Ask those questions. Ask those questions. And sometimes you have to ask the question two or three times, right? Because mm -hmm. you're talking past each other still. And so, so don't, uh, don't be shy. And really that, that regular and frequent communication with your faculty member will pay off. Those are both very nice pieces of advice. I reflect but the second one about asking questions. That's hard. Like yes. a lot of us, came all the way through our undergraduate program, like breezed through without ever really having to talk to a faculty member. And that first time you feel like it's something's wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with you. It's a part of the process. So that's wonderful advice. And so the, the last thing I'll say is if, if you end up having some stage fright right at the beginning of that conversation with the faculty member and you're not ready to ask your question, you can always start with, how'd you get interested in this field, mm -hmm. right? Throw it out there. That's talking, a general, yeah. easy, scripted question, and it can be the starting point of, uh, of a more in-depth conversation. And so yeah. so that getting over that initial hurdle is hard, but, uh, mm -hmm. but we all had to do it. And so yeah. I, I hope students take advantage of that early in their academic careers, graduate students, not, yeah. not later in that that process. Yeah. Well, Dean Harris, I thank you for spending time with me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I appreciate you sharing your insights into graduate education at UCA. And I want to thank our listeners for listening to this episode of Grad Chats with Dr. B. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and listen to the future episodes. Mm -hmm.